Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. A blessed Easter season to all of you this Monday, May the 2nd, as the light of Christ shines on us as we begin a new book. Actually, it's three short books, short epistles of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's in the back. It's the classic book, the classic books that when you're in confirmation class and you say, oh, I turn to John, you always have that one kid who turns to 1st John and reads the wrong verse. I know that because I was that kid back in confirmation class. But it's a, a books that are, are, are powerful. We, we confess it often when we confess our sins. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. These words ring through all three of these epistles. And today we're just going to give a broad overview of all of it because we know that not only is the Holy Spirit in these words, not only is it true, but also it points us to Christ. So open up your Bibles, put on your Christ goggles for the gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you to our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation for your support of Thy Strong Word. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. Helping us to be strengthened by God's Word this morning, we welcome back Pastor Warren Wirth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Pastor Wirth, happy Easter and welcome back to Thy Strong Word. Thanks so much. Christ is risen. Risen indeed. Alleluia. Alleluia. Pastor it's great to have you back on. I know you're a busy guy. You do a lot of different things on KFUO. I want you to just start this way, though. You have a, a segment during the week on KFUO, I think it's in the afternoons, um, about creation. Tell us about that segment on KFUO because I, you know, I didn't know much about it till recently. So tell us about, tell our listeners what's it about. I would be what happy to do so. Um, when um, the I was called by Gary, Gary Duncan, uh, to see if I would do a short segment dealing with the creation evolution uh, subject and other creation related matters as one of his segments. He's got uh, on the five days of the week, Monday through Friday, he's got different speakers who come in for short segments in the midst of that program. That's mainly about music playing Christian music, but he does have like a moment in creation, a moment in the catechism, a moment in scripture, a moment on the lighter side uh, with pastor Jolly John Lukomsky and also, there's one that deals with the family and, and uh, raising your family. So uh, that's what I do every Tuesday is when it's broadcast, about 12.30 p.m. Central Time. And that's five to ten minutes long. And I'm looking at stuff that's in the news. So if there's a new fossil found, somebody claiming to have the missing link or something like that, we talk about that. Sometimes it's something just talking about, is there life on other planets? And how would one know? And uh, where did it all come from? Have you been to the Grand Canyon lately? Uh, maybe when the school year is starting up, uh, do you know what your kids are being taught in biology class and so forth? Um, and there's always something to talk about. And so I'm always looking for news items and things like that. And we, he and I talk about that for about five or 10 minutes and we have a prayer and we always want to bring people back to God's word, the Bible, and show that God's word is true from the very first verse, from Genesis 1-1 all the way through the end of Revelation. We can believe what God says, and it all centers on Jesus Christ. So while we're talking about creation, and it's called a moment in creation, it's still all about our creator, 
Jesus. Okay, he's our creator and our redeemer. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And so we always want to make sure that we bring it back to the gospel and show the gospel connection. So when we're talking first article stuff, God as our creator, it's not somehow divorced from and widely separated from the rest of what we believe, teach, and confess about who Jesus is and what he's done for us and how the Holy Spirit working through the gospel works in our hearts so that we repent of our sins, we believe in Jesus as our Savior, and it's like what you learned when you were in Sunday school. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It, it's that simple. Well, and I encourage our listeners to listen um, every day at 1230, a moment uh, in different realities, but also a moment in creation. Is that every Tuesday at 1230? It's every Tuesday at 1230 p.m. Very good. Well, like I talk about, the gifts are ready, and that's just a small way to us a reminder that our God is our creator. Um, I know there's always a tendency when, when in our culture to worship the creation as opposed to the creator. So it's a very timely subject and always points us back to Christ. So, Pastor, on that note, um, we are here to study and to give a broad overview to get us started off on the right foot and John or first John, second John, and third John. So you can can you begin our time in prayer? I would be happy to do so. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your blessed word, especially these brief but powerful epistles written by uh, your beloved disciple John. And we ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit, that we may understand your word correctly, believe it firmly, and live according to it faithfully. Help us uh, by the light of your word to grow in our faith in Jesus, who is our crucified and risen Savior and Lord, and in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, pa- reminder to your listeners, if you have any questions as we begin this new study in first, first, second, and third John, send us an email, kfuo at kfuo.org, kfuo at kfuo.org. Pastor Worth, first, second, third John. Most of the time when we start a new book, it's been a while because we, you know, we started Matthew in December and uh, with Dr. Gibbs, and we've been going through that all the way through Easter, then some Psalms, and here we are in a new book, new books, I should say. Um, usually we kind of do the who, what, where, when, and why. So how do you want, where do you want to start well, as we look at all three? Let's start at the who. Okay, so the, the epistles are called 1st John, 2nd John, 3rd John. So the first and second and third epistles of St. John. Who, who's that John? Well, we believe that this is the same John who wrote the gospel according to St. John, the beloved disciple of our Lord. He was one of the sons of Zebedee, brother of James, um, had been a fisherman. Jesus called him to follow him and uh, made him to be one of his disciples, one of his apostles, equipped with that word of life. Having just come through uh, a great celebration of our Lord's resurrection at Easter, you know, many of our churches are using the Gospel of John, reading through parts of the Gospel of John, the resurrection accounts there. Uh, last Sunday, you know, we heard how the disciples were in the upper room behind locked doors, and Jesus came, the risen Lord Jesus said, peace be with you. And they were frightened until he showed them his hands, his side, and uh, convinced them that he was truly alive. And he gave them the keys, right, to to forgive and retain sins. And and Thomas didn't believe. He wasn't there that time. But a week later, Thomas is there with them. And Jesus again comes, though the doors are locked. The risen Christ is there in their midst and says, peace be with you, and invites Thomas to come and see 
where those nail prints are in his hands and put his finger there and see the nail, the spear wound in his side and put his hand there to stop disbelieving and to believe. And, you know, that word of Jesus, don't disbelieve, but believe is powerful and performative. And so Jesus worked faith in his heart so that Thomas worships Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. And then John reminds us that Jesus did many other signs that were not recorded in that book, but he says, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing have life in his name. And, you know, that's why that gospel is written. That's why all the scripture is written. And that's why these three little epistles are also written, so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, crucified and risen for us, and by believing in him, have life in his name. And, you know, that theme is going to run through all of these epistles. It is that John who's writing, who is one of the witnesses, an eyewitness of the risen Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, again, having shown himself during a period of 40 days after he rose from the dead, before he ascended into heaven, again, before the very eyes of his watching disciples. So John is a witness of those things, and that's what he's going to convey to his readers, to his uh, audience, uh, to the churches to whom he writes, that they may be strengthened in their faith, strengthened in their confidence that Jesus really is the Son of God. He really did die as the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world, so that, as you were saying in your introduction, as we confess our sins, we can be certain that God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, because it is the blood of Jesus, his son, that cleanses us from all sin. And then he also, in these epistles, not only is strengthening in their faith in that crucified and risen Christ, but also strengthening them in uh, Christian love, realizing that that love, uh, that faith is, that is genuine faith, bears fruit, and that fruit involves loving one another, loving the brotherhood, loving our fellow Christians, and and not only in word, but also in deed and in truth. And so that's a prominent theme uh, in all three of these, to to love one another and to show that love as we are brothers and sisters in Christ, our crucified and risen Savior and Lord. So that'll be something we'll be examining as we go through all of this. Um, uh, what else do we want to point out here about John as the author? Well, when? When was this written? Ah, okay. Well, we don't know for certain. Obviously, it, it appears that it may have been late in the first century. Um, that, of course, you know, if uh, if we're going after the ascension of our Lord Jesus, you know, around 33 AD or thereabouts, and then you have the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, um, it, it appears from, from the writing that it was probably late uh, in his life. When we, when we have the Christian tradition from some of the writings of people who did uh, know John or were taught by the people who were taught by John, you know, we have writings that go way, way back. Uh, it appears that, you know, he was still active in ministry in the later part of the first century, uh, that we are told that he went to Ephesus. And so these may have been written there. We Again, he doesn't identify that in the letters themselves, so we don't have that for certain, but it seems reasonable from other extra-biblical sources that we have, that he was in Ephesus. Uh, you know, when Jesus was on the cross, he entrusted his mother, Mary, mother of our Lord, to to John's care. So it's entirely reasonable to understand that 
his, the mother of our Lord Jesus was with um, John in Ephesus while he was ministering there. And as he was ministering there in Asia Minor, present-day Turkey, um, you know, he was looked up to and respected as he would minister to the people, not only where he was, but in the region thereabouts. And so he could send letters to other places, uh, instructing them, just as we have the wonderful letters of, for example, the Apostle Paul. Now, something that's a little different about these letters, as opposed to those epistles of Paul, these letters, like the letters of Peter and, and John, we often refer to as the general epistles or Catholic epistles, because we don't have a specific time and place and audience that we know, the original person or group to whom it was sent. So when Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, to the Romans or to the church at Corinth or something like that, these are not exactly like that. In fact, especially the first epistle is quite different. It's not written in the epistolary form with a greeting and an ending and lots of personal information in it. So it's, it's written almost like a sermon, like a sermon that you could uh, may, maybe send along with another missive, another letter or something, and that would be included to be read in churches, maybe more than one church. Maybe it would be shared from place to place that people would read it and be edified by the you know, teaching of this beloved apostle of our Lord. Uh, the, the two other epistles of John here, Second John and Third John, do at least have some indication of being sent to somebody. They're written in, in that form. But for example, in Second um, John, I'm turning the pages, which are very thin. Um, uh, yeah, he's got a greeting there, which is the elder to the elect lady and her children, uh, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. So again, he doesn't say to the church in Ephesus, to the church in Corinth, to the church in Rome or something like that. And he doesn't identify himself by name, you know, whereas the apostle Paul says, Paul, uh, 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 called by God to be an apostle, a servant of our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, here he just refers to himself as the elder, but it's understood that we're talking about, John's talking about himself as the elder, and that, that calls into question too, is elder there in the sense of he was elderly, so it's very late in his own earthly life, or is it more in the sense of uh, when we refer to a, a a pastor as father, okay, uh, Roman Catholic priest as father, and as you know, in the New Testament, one of the one of the technical terms for a pastor is elder, presbyteros. So, whether presbyteros or episcopos, th- there are different words, but they seem still all to refer to the office of the ministry of the word. And so, is he using it in that sense? Uh, or even just in the sense, you know, that he is sent by Christ as an apostle to be a spiritual father to others who are under his spiritual care as his children. And throughout these letters, he does use that family language, dear, loving, pastoral, fatherly language, referring to himself as the elder, referring to the readers as his dear children, uh, his beloved ones. And so forth. So there's a they're very touching, very uh, moving, uh, tender uh, 
approach in, in his words as he writes to these congregations to strengthen them in their faith, to encourage them in Christian love and good works, and to guard them against false teachers and false doctrine. That's a, a, a big part of these letters as well, to warn them against those who would be anti-Christ, um, not only the Antichrist with a capital T and a capital A, but uh, you know those who are anti-Christian by their teaching and their practices that would militate against the true teaching of our Lord Jesus Christ and the true teaching of his apostles and would militate against the faith of these congregations uh, that he addresses as his dear children. And there definitely is a... Uh... A little bit unknown of exactly what he's fighting because he's very adamant about certain things. The the light, he's very adamant about love, um, very adamant about forgiveness, especially in the first epistle. And so it's, it's, it appears that he is fighting some kind of false teachers that kind of deny what I've read is a physical Jesus or a resurrected Jesus, maybe. And, and so what did you find anything on that, what it appears that he is fighting with these false teachers? I'm sure your uh, guests that will be coming on in sub- subsequent days will want to talk about that in more detail. But just lightly, it's, it's kind of like incipient Gnosticism. So full-blown Gnosticism didn't uh, happen until after this time. But already here at the end of the first century, there were some that were denying uh, that Jesus is the Christ who came in the flesh. And so the— who is this Jesus? Is he God? Is he man? Is he God and man? Is he something other than God? Is he something less than God? And you know, we, we were earlier talking about um, the segment I do on KFUO about creation. You know, even to this day, there are those who want to deny that God is the creator. So already in the first century, there were some who were denying God as creator or creation as being created by a good God. And, and the physicality of the world itself not being in, in itself evil. So these people would say the physical world is evil. And so they would teach a secret knowledge, a secret way of knowing God, knowing truth, and making kind of a duality so that, um, that salvation is all about spiritual stuff. And, and, and your, the body and the world is, is inherently bad and evil and uh, and and there's all kinds of when you get into full blown Gnosticism, there's all kinds of heresies uh, that are that are part of that. But here in in First uh, John, for example, when he talks about the coming of Antichrist and says many Antichrists are already in the world, um, and you when you check out the the details there, and he says something. Um, I've got to adjust my glasses and find um, <laughs> find where I am here. It isn't easy getting old. <laughs> um, so what, what are you looking for? What chapter are you looking well, for? Well, in particular, when he talks about the, the coming of the Antichrist, and he says many Antichrists have come into the world, and then he talks about this is how we know uh, the truth, you know, that everyone who confesses that Jesus has come in the flesh, you know, is, is true. And those, here we are in uh, chapter 2, beginning at chapter verse 14. Okay. Or, okay. Eighteen. Eighteen. Um, mm-hmm. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, 
they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are all they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has made to us, eternal life. Um, and he, again, he warns about people deceiving them and so forth. Um, and, and so as you read, you'll be working through that in subsequent days here. But the idea for people denying that Jesus is the Christ. Now, the Christ, of course, Today, people sometimes think, well, the name Jesus and Christ mean the same thing, and they don't understand. To confess that Jesus is the Christ is to say that Jesus of Nazareth is the promised Messiah, promised in the Old Testament to be the anointed one, anointed to be our prophet, our priest, and king, ultimately the promised Savior. That's what that entails. So is Jesus not the Christ? Is Are we to look for someone else? And so the warning about false prophets, false Christs, and false teaching about who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for us, how we are saved, what is faith, these are all things that that get addressed here so that uh, the readers may be strengthened against these false teachers, warned to be on their guard against them, and, and to reject what is false, to reject what is not in keeping with the sound doctrine that has been brought to them by those who were sent, taught by Jesus himself, sent by Jesus himself, as John himself was, so that they would be strengthened in the truth about Jesus of Nazareth being the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who was crucified, who really rose bodily from the grave, and who lives forever and ever to give us eternal life, who calls us to repentance and to faith that we may have life in his name. And as we hear John's words, I like how you said it. So if it's in the 80s into the 90s AD, this is a substantial amount of time after Jesus had died and risen again. And so it's important for us to look at this, that it wasn't something that was written, you know, really quickly after his resurrection. And it's just like, boom, 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 here it is. But it's definitely been a reflection it's much like when you have like that retired pastor or something like that who writes something that reflects about his whole ministry or i'd say even better a lay person that is you visit them toward the end of their life as they reflect on their life of faith that you really do feel that when you read first second and third john because he's writing not as one who's trying to do this quickly or he's um he hasn't reflected on this much and the language continually, and specifically in First John, goes back and forth of bold confession of who Jesus is, and then the benefits that we receive as his followers, as his people. And this is something that he would have not only believed, but that he would have experienced himself. Like you said, John was there. John was called. He left his father, the boat, and followed Jesus and saw all of these things. And so that's something I, that, that I think about a lot with First John specifically is he boldly proclaims it reflectively, 
and then boldly shows us the benefits that we then therefore receive. So any thoughts on this towards the end of his life? And, and it's, it's very distinctly personal and bold in how he speaks about Jesus and what we receive. Any thoughts? Absolutely. Yeah, it is that, is all of that you're saying there. And so particularly thinking of him uh, still in a fatherly way, and fatherly both thinking of it as a human father, but also thinking spiritually as a pastor. You know, so earlier you said like a retired pastor. So an older pastor who spent his whole life uh, telling people the good news about Jesus whom he knows is risen from the dead, so that John, with all the other apostles, was willing to confess that boldly and risk his own life for the sake of preaching that gospel, that people may know Jesus and be found in him and experience his resurrection on that great day when Christ comes again as King of kings and Lord of lords. So, but but a very, a very loving, patient, pastoral uh, concern for people. And he's patient with the the believers who are tender in faith and sincere and wanting to follow Jesus as the sheep hearing the voice of the good shepherd, but uh, very stern and uh, pointedly uh, warning against the false teachers and and uh, pronouncing judgment against anyone who would dare to try to rob sheep from the good shepherd uh, who has promised that no one can pluck us from his hand. So, uh, yeah, very pastoral, and and the the voice of someone who has experienced that love of Jesus, who knows the love of Jesus, and wants everyone to know that love of Jesus and to be uh, a channel of that love to others in word and deed. What I want to do, Pastor, is it's about time for our break, but on the other side of our break, I want us to look at maybe some common passages or maybe the chapters or themes, whatever it might be, because I have a whole list here of different passages that pop out of my mind every time I think of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. So we'll get to that on the other side of our break. We need uh, we are introducing our study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John with Pastor Warren Worth, and we'll be right back. Take a look around you. Look closely. Immigrants in the United States and their U.S.-born children now number about 81 million people, or 26% of the population. So chances are, there's someone right in your community who doesn't speak English as a first language and who doesn't know Jesus. The Lutheran Heritage Foundation can help by providing you with free Lutheran books translated into over 90 languages. See their complete list of catechisms and Bible storybooks at lhfmissions.org. And welcome back. We are introducing our study of 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John with Pastor Warren Worth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri. Now, Pastor, I want to throw just a few verses at you today, um, and you can throw them right back at me too, other ones you have. But there's a number that really come to mind every time I think of the Johns, if I can say it that way, the uh, first John specifically. And it starts off right at the beginning, like I'm right before what I mentioned this morning. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That leads us to our common confession in worship. And right there is that theme that we also see in John, is that idea of Jesus being the light. But here he really puts it into this understanding of this light brings 
forgiveness. Your thoughts on on that and and the rest of the the first, second, third John? Yes, this this is a prominent theme there, the light darkness motif, just as in the Gospel of John, that light darkness motif was throughout the Gospel of uh, the, the Gospel of John. So you know when he talks about in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God, and he says all things were made by Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. And then he says in Him was light. You know, he was the light of the world. He came into the world as the creator, but he brought light, and the darkness has not overcome it. And throughout John's gospel, you have that the, the darkness representing sin and death and the devil struggling against Jesus, who is the light. And yet, when it even though it looks like the darkness is going to prevail when the Son of God is uh, hanging dead upon the cross, yet it's the light of life and glory that that uh, emerges from the tomb on Easter morning. So uh, the darkness has not overcome it. The light does prevail. The light that is Jesus, the light of the world, the light that comes through Jesus. And then he's the one who makes us children of the light, as the Apostle Paul talks about it, when through the gospel he brings us to repentance and faith. We, being born again, uh, are then children of the light who then are called to walk in, in the light and not walk in darkness. And so when you in the passage you're looking at here in the first chapter of the first epistle of John, that's again kind of what's going on is that, uh, again, you know, he, he begins his, it, rather than beginning like a letter, uh, a New Testament kind of letter where he would identify himself first and then the, the people to whom he's writing and uh, beginning as a letter, it's beginning more like a sermon. And the very beginning of the chapter is almost like the beginning of the Gospel of John, because John began by saying, in the beginning was the Word. So here he says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon, have looked, touched with our hands, concerning the Word of life. The life was made manifest, and we have seen it, testify to it, and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us, that which we have seen and heard we proclaim also to you, so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And uh, we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And then it goes right into the words you just read about that God is light. In him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So right from the get-go, making this distinction that, you know, God is light, in him there is no darkness. And so if we claim to be uh, connected to Jesus, if we claim to know God the Father as our, as our God and our Lord, then it makes no sense for us to continue to walk in the deeds of darkness. So once again, the truth and error are put side by side, good and evil put side by side. The genuine faith in the real Jesus, the real Savior, is contrasted with false faith, uh, and that false faith can come in various forms. We were talking before the break about Antichrist and false teachers, but also Christians who have the idea that if I'm saved by grace, then God doesn't care how I live and I can sin all I want. And John says, no, 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 that's wrong. And he has much to say in this epistle about not walking in the darkness, not continuing with those unfruitful deeds of darkness, but walking in the light as those uh, in whom that light has now come. Again, using uh, the apostle Peter, who says, God has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
And so that certainly is, is the same kind of idea that John is expressing here, that we are children of the light to walk in that light. And, and we walk, we confess our sins, receive that wonderful forgiveness of sins we have in Jesus Christ, and then walk in that newness of life. The God who justifies us, declares us righteous, holy, innocent, forgiven on account of Christ, then we also are sanctified made holy, uh, to walk in newness of life as those who have been brought out of darkness into that light, to walk and live as children of light, and to show that by how we treat one another in works of love. Um, As we're talking about this, you know, it reminds me something else structurally about John's gospel and these epistles are kind of like a spiral staircase, you might say. And, uh, he, he, he talk, you know, he talks around and around and around, often re- coming back to the same idea again and again, but not just walking in circles, as it were, but each time adding more ideas to that central idea, uh, to each motif, he, you're rising higher and higher and higher and soaring as, as the Holy Spirit speaking through his beloved apostle here is— uh, helping us to grasp these con- these concepts. So it's almost like, you know, uh, looking at a gem and turning it every which way to look at each facet of it and then returning again and again to each facet and see something new that was not uh, talked about originally. It's the same and yet something added to it, something different, something more. And, uh, and, and that's what we see with all of these things. So whether you're saying light and darkness, uh, truth versus lies, um, and so forth. I'm sure you have some other verses you wanted to bring up as well. Oh, and that's what was, you know, I'll, I'll do one more and then I want to hear some of yours is you go to first John chapter three. Uh, once again, that back and forth, he is the light. Therefore is no darkness. He is the Christ. Therefore he's not the antichrist in chapter three. It brings it back actually right before chapter three. That identity, and this goes back to your creation talks that you have, it's about identity of a creation. Um, see verse 1, chapter 3. Uh, see what kind of love the Father has given to me, that we should be called children of God. And just in case you're still wondering, and so we are. Probably one of my favorite passages um, in the New Testament, for sure, is that it shows the love of God. It reminds us of who we are. And then just that extra exclamation point of saying, and so we are. That boldness that you feel of, of almost like David is trying to protect the, 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 his followers, the, those who hear the word of God when they're like, oh, you know that just Jesus wasn't really a physical guy. And then John got a hold of this and heard about this. And no, 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 wait a second. You are a child of God. Don't let anyone take away that identity from you. Christ has done it all. Therefore, be gone, <laughs> these antichrists, because, and then he just adds, and so we are. I, I love that boldness that John brings. So that was one other theme that I found. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I, I think that's great. Again, because as you were saying, especially in, in our very confused day and age where people don't know who they are and have strange ideas about who they are and what identifies them, uh, our identity is in Christ as redeemed, restored, forgiven, baptized children of the Heavenly Father. We are his sons and daughters, not because of what we have done, but because of what he has done for us. And uh, it's important that he goes on, he says, this is why the world does not know us. And the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be 
has not, turn the page here, has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. So you see, we've got this now and the not yet. Now already we are children of God by grace through faith in Jesus. Our sins are washed away in the blood of the Lamb. Uh, and yet we're not yet in heaven. Uh, so n- not yet are we to the day of resurrection, but we have our share in that resurrection as we remain committed to that gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, as that light of the gospel shines in us and through us. And then we walk we live, we conduct ourselves in a way that is appropriate to that, purifying ourselves even as he, our Lord Jesus, is pure. And, and you know, when you go on to uh, uh, the end of the epistle, uh, a theme that comes up in, in the very next verse that we were going to read there, everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And so he's warning us against continuing deliberately in sin. That comes again also in the very last chapter where he says, "If um, let's see. Mm-hmm. We know that everyone who is born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who has been born of God protects him, and the evil one does not touch him. And we know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. And so getting back to the true God, the true Savior of the world, Jesus is that true Son of God, the true God. In him alone is eternal life. We must remain steadfast in him, steadfast in his word. And again, we you were saying we can know our identity. You know, he writes in 1 John 5, 13, I write mm. these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. So once again, we're, there's no question about it. We don't have to live in doubt and fear. We can live in the joyful confidence, knowing that we are God's children now. Our sins are washed away in the blood of the Lamb. We can be sure that we have eternal life. We can know for certain that we have eternal life because it depends not upon our righteousness and our good deeds or how strong we are, but it depend, depends our strong, perfect Savior, Jesus Christ, and his what he's done for us, his perfect life, his sacrificial death, his victorious resurrection. These provide the certainty that we can be sure that we are God's children. And, and again, in holy baptism, you know, God's word is true. So, uh, so just as Jesus was able to bring Thomas out of his fearful doubts when he said, stop doubting, stop disbelieving and believe, you know, so also his word works in our hearts to remove the doubts, to dispel the fear and to work in us that joyful confidence that we can be sure that Jesus rose from the dead. And because he lives, we can be sure that we are God's children. We have eternal life because he promised it and his promises are true and you can count on them. Now, this is where I'm, I'm excited. Now I'm really excited to study First John right now, for sure. It's, it's when we look at um, this first epistle is that certainty that reminds us of, of what this is. These are the words, and they're true. Um, these words are written that you may believe. 
kind of language, and he extends it from his own gospel. And then he ends in verse 21, which I found fascinating and I think is a good theme for us. He ends it with, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Not so much the idols, because that definitely is the theme throughout, but he calls them little children. This could be seen as offensive to all of us. What do you mean? I'm, I'm in my 40s. I have a full-paying job. I take care of my family. And now you're calling me little children, but also I think it could be comforting. Any thoughts on that as one of the main themes in this first epistle? Yes. Once again, I think it it shows the the loving, tender kindness of uh, an elderly pastor, an older uh, servant of the Lord, who wants to be sure that those who are under his spiritual care um, see themselves as children of the Heavenly Father. And so, again, it's not an offensive term. It's a loving, tender term of affection from one who is called by God to, uh, to feed and care for uh, the church and for those who are members of that church under that spiritual care, uh, tenderly loved by the, the, the good shepherd and the shepherd under that good shepherd, and uh, that we then see ourselves as children of the Heavenly Father and being cared for by those that God himself provides. So beginning with the apostles, and down to this day to those who follow in their train, those who are called pastors to this very day, who are called to be shepherds under Christ, to care for the lambs and the sheep that Jesus purchased with his own blood. And so it's, it's not a, an offensive term, it's a tender term. And it runs, again, throughout the epistle, and you can see his tender love for those to whom he writes. He wants them to know Jesus, to believe in Jesus, to remain steadfast in that faith to the end so that they receive the crown of everlasting life, that they would not be snatched away by the devil and by false teachers and and, uh, by heretical ideas. And whether those heretical ideas are a false faith or a false idea about faith uh, that doesn't need any works or the idea that we're saved by our own works. I mean, there's heresies on the left and heresies on the right. One is that I think I'm saved by the good things I do, and the other would be to say that God doesn't care how I live. And both of those are are wrong. The, the truth is that we're saved by grace through faith without our works being something that contributes to our salvation. But genuine faith, genuine trust in the righteousness of Jesus and all he's done for us will automatically produce the fruits of love and good works, which John uh, exhorts his readers to to be uh, busy about in their Christian life. Now, Pastor, as we, we, in the next few minutes, we need to get to Second John. But are there any passages that really stick out in your mind before we move on to Second John from First John that encompass the themes and the the realities of this epistle? Of First John or Second John or both? With First John, well, you can do that, but let's let's stick with First John for now. Okay, yeah. In First John, I, I think you've kind of hit on some of those main ones. The idea that Jesus has come in the flesh. The eternal Son of God has come in the flesh. He is the one in whom we have life and light and hope. Uh, he is the one who loves us, who gave himself for us, and who then produces in us love for one another. We love because he first loved us. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and gave his son to be the propitiation, the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so if, if, if he so loved us, beloved, we should love one another. So that's a very prominent uh, theme in First John, and it carries over then also 
in Second John and Third John that he wants to make sure that uh, uh, people he's writing to there also uh, continue in the love of God and love one another. Second uh, John and Third John are very brief. They are written more as epistles and not so much as the sermon that we have in in First John. He does address in Second John. He says the elder to the elect lady and her children again using relationship kind of language. So uh, if the church is the bride of Christ. A particular congregation could be referred to as the elect lady and the members of that congregation as her children. Again, notice how he addresses them, whom I love in truth, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. So truth versus falsehood, love being a a prominent uh, theme here, that true love for God, love for the people who are uh, fellow confessors people who also believe in that one true God and his son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, talking about walking in truth and love. Uh, That's kind of a prominent theme, even though it's a very brief epistle. And again, and this is love, that we walk according to his commandments. This is a commandment, just as you have heard it from the beginning, so you should also walk in it. Again, a warning against false teachers. Many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Uh, such a one as a deceiver and the Antichrist. So watch yourselves so that you do not lose what you we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Uh, so again, that, that concern that we remain in the truth, watch out against deceivers, and, and that we show our faith in works of love for one another. And what's a, a common thing between 2 John and 3 John is he really abbreviates what he has to say there. He begins to talk about things and says, you know, I really would rather talk to you in person. So though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. And this uh, third John is similar in that regard. It's addressed to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. And he addresses him as the beloved one, and he prays that uh, he will go well in in good health physically as well as spiritually. And when he gets to the end of that epistle again, he um, talks about he has much more to say, uh, and but he would rather uh, do it face-to-face, talking to them rather than uh, doing it with paper and ink. And I can identify with that. You know, sometimes people will have a, a, a letter to me or a question for me. And rather than spending a lot of time uh, on the computer typing, I said, you know, I'd rather talk than type. So if we can get together and talk face to face, that there's often something to be said about that. And again, as it relates to these other themes, you know, we as Christian pastors who want to talk with those who have doubts or questions, um, we want to approach it with that same loving pastoral heart. We want to address them as those who, together we confess our sins. Together we look to Jesus, the Lamb of God who has taken away our sins, whose blood washes us clean from every spot and wrinkle and stain, that we may be God's beloved children, and then to live as those beloved children of God, walking according to his commandments, not in darkness, but walking in the light as he in the light, purifying ourselves as he is pure, seeking to live, to conform our, our words and our actions to our confession of faith in that true God, Jesus Christ, our Savior. 
Um, and so I, I, th- I see some commonality in, in all three there too, that, that desire to strengthen people in their faith, to fortify them against false teachers, and to encourage them in their Christian faith and Christian living. This is where the way John writes, clearly the gospel of John gives a wide overview of everything. And, 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 and obviously it's a very strong proclamation, but First, second, and third John is a very personal um, that he is writing to a specific people, even if it's a number of churches or the church Catholic, as we say, universal, that he is definitely addressing real issues that are happening in those days. And he's very direct with it, but very personal, especially how you highlighted that, that, you know what, I want to explain this to you in person. And it wasn't because he was afraid that it would show up in social media in five years. He said this, you know, that kind of thing. But it's that personal reality. Like when you visit someone in the hospital, personal, not just you call them, or you visit your your parents personally, that you're there in person. You know, usually as a parent, you don't celebrate when all your children are on Zoom. You celebrate when they're all at your dinner table. You know, that kind of reality. And that's the way John is speaking with great joy. And to be able to speak that joy that he had not only had seen, but also that he realized was the truth for the world. And he wanted to say it in a personal way and write to them for you, the forgiveness of sins over and over that in the dark world, there is truly light. So pastor, other, you know, any other passages stick out in any of them, first, second, or third, John? I, I think we've hit upon the, some of those that are the, the main themes that you're going to want to develop in your subsequent uh, Bible studies with your other guests. Uh, and it, it all comes back to proclaiming Jesus Christ. And in each epistle, in the gospel, in all John's writings, in all of our sermons and Bible classes, uh, our pastoral visits, as you said, whether you're at the bedside of someone who's in the hospital or someone who is near death, we want to come to them with the light of the truth of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came down from heaven, who died and rose again, and that there were eyewitnesses. And not only Thomas, but also John and the rest of the apostles saw Jesus. They put their fingers where the nails were. They put their hand into his side. Their doubts and fears disappeared when the risen Christ presented himself to them. And they were sure that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that we have eternal life in him. And they wrote these things so that we also could be sure that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and in him we have forgiveness of sins and the hope of everlasting life when he comes again on that great and glorious day of the resurrection. Now, Pastor, you've hit this over and over, and I, I want to just rehash it for you, our listeners, as we where our, our pals are getting, you know, we're, we're we're getting the the smell like oh boy this is gonna be exciting the we see that wet our palates a little bit we're starting off on the right foot so we're able to really start off in the right way why is first second and third john important for our world today and for our listeners as we're about to begin the study well god's word is always important but I, we had referred in some of our previous comments to some of the uh craziness and confusion that is on our world today. People don't know who they are. They don't know where they came from. They don't know where they're going. And without God's sure word to tell you who you are, where you came from, and that you belong to him and and that he wants you to be with him for eternity, you can live your life without any purpose, without any meaning. Uh, 
how sad it is for people to live without purpose, without meaning, and to not really know who they are, and then to go down all kinds of uh, rabbit holes and false false paths, uh, whether it's the LGBT stuff or anything else, where people try to find their identity apart from God who created us, apart from Christ who redeemed us, apart from the Holy Spirit who brings us to faith in Jesus. If if you don't have God's word, you will not know the truth. And without that truth, you cannot have eternal life. And so we, we're living in a day and age where there is so much confusion. There are many false Christs. There are many antichrists that, that have gone out into the world. It's in uh, Public education has uh, been corrupted. Government has been corrupted. Many churches have been corrupted and have gone far away from God's Word. They reject the Bible as the in, inerrant, inspired Word of God and go after man's ideas, man's false ideas about where we came from and who God is and who Christ is and how we are saved. Sometimes people think there are many paths to God, but There is only one way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But thank God that he gave us uh, these wonderful writings of uh, all the apostles, but especially the Gospel of John, these three short epistles of John, uh, the Revelation to St. John, and the message is the same in all of them, that we have hope. We have that hope because of Jesus, of who he is and what he's done for us. Jesus, the eternal son of God, who was willing to come down from his throne on high, to live and suffer and die for us on Calvary's cross, to rise in victory on that third day. And that because he lives, we know that we too shall live because he is the resurrection and the life. And he promises forgiveness of sins, resurrection of the body and life everlasting to all who repent and who trust in him. I think all we can say to that is, Amen. Um, as, as he tells us, I write these things that you may believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what brings it all together. So Pastor Warren Worth of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Arnold, Missouri, starting us off on the right foot with First, Second, and Third John. Pastor Worth, thank you for bringing us his gifts. You're welcome. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Join us tomorrow as we begin this great study, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, for we know the gifts are there for you. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hand.